You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And I'm here tonight with another installment of In the News. I'll be right back. Good evening, all. Welcome to 247 Real Talk, another episode, another installment in the series in the news. Uh, some of you would remember, and most of you who follow this podcast, remember that I started this segment of In the News where I discuss different topics from the headlines. <clears throat> uh, please excuse me if I'm clearing my throat. I still have some residual cough left over from a cold I had caught from my kids, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. Anyway, um, in the news focuses on things in the headlines, and once again, unfortunately, I'm caught in a position where I have to just, you know, jump right into it because I have a guest that I've scheduled three times. And this is the third time that the guest has not shown up on the show. That is not something that happens often, but obviously whenever they do that, it, 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 you know, it sort of uh, messes up the schedule. So um, I guess it's a good opportunity, looking at everything in a, an optimistic way, it's a good opportunity to do another episode of In the News. I'm going to start this episode off with Something that's been in the news for the last few days. It is the the movie, uh, I think it's called Rust, that was being shot in New Mexico and with actor Alex Baldwin. And he used a prop gun. And the prop gun had live ammunition. And he pointed at the camera woman because that was the shot that they needed. And when he pulled the tri- trigger, live projectile went out, killed the woman, injured someone else. Um, it's a very interesting scenario because you're hearing all sorts of stories and you, you know, I've I've chatted with a few people about this and we kind of worry in, in, you know, we kind of wonder, I should say, in the world of information, misinformation, um, yeah, uh, what do we want to say? Different treat, different strokes for a different treatment for different folks, you know, how how what what the approach to this issue would have been say had it happened in the middle of New York City? Um, one story says that the crew took the prop guns out, used them for live you know target shooting, and somehow in the mix up of all of this, you know live ammunition ended up in the gun, a gun that was supposedly checked two or three times before it was handed to Alex Baldwin. So it was interesting to, you know, get you more perspectives. And yes, you guys send me emails. And what, what do you think about this? Number one, 
you know, they're, they're being very careful about filing charges, but I think that it's, it's, it's a very gray area because I think that the first question would be if, if people did do take the guns out as a norm for live target practice, is that allowable? You know, are there any regulations within the film industry that say that a gun that's being used for prop should never be used for, you know, um, <clears throat> live target practicing? And, and, you know, should, there, should it be a fully functional weapon to begin with? I mean, is, in this day of technology, you know, can it be a weapon that doesn't actually fire a projectile or, you know, or, you know, just like they would shoot a blank, you know, would replicate something like that without the risk of loss of life? And does anyone think that the investigators are dragging their feet here because of the industry and because of who it is? Or do you think that this is just, you know, good fear police work? You know, let me know your thoughts on that. So there's, there's a, quite a few things I want to touch on, about, about four things. I often say in these segments that they won't be very long, and I try to keep them short, but, you know, sometimes the conversation gets juicier. So another thing in, in, in that's been circling around for the last few weeks is this whistleblower for Facebook and the way they, they sort of protected and invested in their profits at the expense of everybody, it seems like. But, you know, the thing I'm very curious about and, and also getting your feedback on is, you know, what do you think the responsibility is of a company like Facebook, like, you know, YouTube, like Twitter? I mean, it, you know, as, as I ponder this a little bit more, it's kind of like someone gives us this platform to communicate an open platform and human beings are using this platform. And somehow we got from a, an innocent start to a place where people have to be held accountable, not for what they say on Facebook, but for how Facebook or Twitter or any one of these platforms um, actually maintains its its uh, sort of a scrubbing of all the the posts and everything else I put on there to to make sure they meet certain standards. Now, <clears throat> this is a complicated issue. Um, I remember a few years ago a story about a young girl who uh, who took her life, you know, committed suicide because the mother of some other student basically you know, bullied her in, in, to the point where she felt worthless and she took her life. That's a criminal act. That's a criminal act to me, whether you do it on Facebook or whether you don't. But when you build something like Facebook, Twitter, and, and, and all these, Instagram, and there's so many social media platforms out there, so forgive me if I don't name all the, you know, the major ones, and you and you and you build it with a concept of communicating and you have all these positive ideas about it. And then all these things start to happen where people start to use it for their own greed, for their own anger, for their own you know, uses, for their own promotion, for their own yeah, how difficult does it become to monitor 
what has to be, since this Facebook has millions and millions of users, it has to be billions of, of um, moments of dialogue each day. And, and basically, who do we hold responsible for this? So I want to look at it from a different perspective. And please, folks, don't get angry at me. I, I, you know, when I discuss things sometimes and I say different perspective, it's not really me sharing my perspective sometimes. Sometimes it's just me offering up different perspectives on this show and maybe um, playing devil's advocate or sometimes, you know, uh, going way off in one direction to, in an effort to provoke thought as human beings, for us to um, think about ways that we can become better human beings. Let's look at the world or the world before Facebook, before the internet. We had similar crimes. It was harder to, to, to reach someone that you didn't know. So it was, it was not easy for me to sit in, say, New York and, and you know, threaten someone or, or say something negative to someone in California I've never met and now... You know, I can do something like that if I'm that type of person by simply browsing and run, coming across some posts that were shared by so many people that it ends up on my page. So we've enabled in, in that sense. But what's behind this all? What's behind this all, this all, and it's something that we should be really not just concerned, we should be worried, we should be angry, we should be, every emotion you can think about is who we have become as human beings. You know, you give someone a, a mechanism to spew hatred, to spew racism, to spew anger, to spew violence. The medium, Facebook, Instagram, Google, whatever it is, didn't create that person. That person was who they are and who they were before and without these social media platforms. The point I'm getting that is, you know, we have lost our way in terms of examining not only who we are, but we, 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 we hide behind a lot of these um, distractions, and that's exactly what they are, from us accepting and recognizing and dealing with the, the core of the issue, and that is who we are as human beings. We've lived behind, to me, a mask so long of so many uh, mirages of people trying to make things appear as they're, that they're not, to make things seem as they're not. But it's obvious in this world that we have kind people, and just as we have kind people, we have so many people filled with hate and anger. People hate you because of your color of your skin, because of your gender, because of your preferences in life, because of the things you like. And in, in many cases, just because... People kill every single day around the world just because. And we think that, and I'm not saying it's wrong to, to say to these social media platforms, hey, you've got to become part of the solution to somehow, you know, go after these people who are spewing this unacceptable behavior, so to speak, and, and find a way to stop it or remove it from your platform, but that doesn't solve the problem. This unacceptable quote-unquote behavior existed prior to any social media platform. 
And so while, yes, they have some culpability because I think with, especially when they're doing something for profit, there's a, there, there's, there's a responsibility you know, to, to meet a certain core group of, you know, of, of, of ethics and morals in, in something like this. At the same time, as I said, the, the core of the problem is who we are as people, how we hate each other for no reason. How we forget the fact that we all came from one creator and we we're all, you know, I, I, I have a few favorite TV shows and a couple of them across the shows, some character says the same line. And it's a line of truth, although it's, it's done for some sort of dramatic effect in the, in the, in the uh, show. They basically say something to the effect of, none of us gets out of here alive. So if that's the case, then what, what is, you know, what is, is it with us human beings that we feel that why, when we get this gift of life, we need to live it in a way that's destructive, that destroys another human being? What is, what is the gain here? I mean, if, 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 if we were, if, if I was the most hateful person in the world and I got to do anything I wanted and I destroyed everyone, when I'm all done, then what did I gain? And I'm saying this because I think that I feel every day as I, as I look on at the world, as I interview guests for this podcast, as I learn of stories of, of, of tragedies and troubles and and, 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 and struggles that people have gone through, many of them unnecessary, many of them on fear. It's almost, you know, I get to a point of disgust sometimes as who we've become as human beings. The ability and the brilliance we have to evolve and do amazingly good things, so many of us have chosen to go in the opposite direction. So many of us have chosen to blame others for things that you know, issues or challenges that we have, and to take it out on others. Two four seven real talk is about empowerment. It's about sharing stories, good, bad, or indifferent, with the purpose of making our lives better by by providing a way for us to listen to someone else's story and to understand what they're going through, and maybe have some empathy and look for a way to help or. Find that, that we have similarities and we can help each other and we can be empowered if we're hiding in the shadows, the shadows of, of despair. And sometimes I wonder when I, when I come on this show, when I have I meet guests or I have my monologues or whatever, how much of a difference am I really making? What keeps me going is knowing that the feedback I get from my guests and you know, it's, it's so powerful that I know that I'm helping someone somewhere, but it's, it sometimes seems like such a daunting task because I come across such incredibly great human beings and I come across such incredibly disgusting, forgive me for saying that, human beings. People who, have, who don't care about anyone else in the world, but their goal in their mind, even if their goal is destructive. And no matter how much I tell them, how many shows I tell them to listen to, how many uh, times I speak with them and, and, and try to appeal to that, 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 that core human being that has to be in there some, somewhere, I can't get to it. 
So, you know, that, that was about a bit about Facebook and the social media platforms and a bit of my own uh, rant. Um, let me know what you think. Let me know. First of all, I guess if you, if, you know, it, the, the question would be, especially for those who like technology, would the world be a better place without social media? And if you say yes, then tell me what you would have put in its place to create the advances that we have made today. And let's, let's keep in mind that social media has created a lot of positive things too. Um, many positive things. I, I think in terms of even family, I had, for me personally, I got on, on a Facebook because um, I found out that family, close family, blood family that I grew up with as kids and we had kind of, moved to different parts of the world and got separated. We were on social media, and, and that was not only a, a way to reconnect and, 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 and reunite, but it was also a way, it also creates a way that I stay in contact with them to this day, and they're all over the world, Australia, California. I've got uh, school friends that I, that I grew up with that we were really close, and they're in Taiwan and South Africa and Vietnam. You know, it's amazing how... People grew up in one place and then we sort of disperse according, you know, according to how life takes us. And it's amazing to find out 30 years later where people you know, live around the world. So I'm going to go on to the next topic. And, and this one is one that I've spoken about a few times, but it keeps, it keeps giving me material for conversation. So I go with it. We have a couple of things on uh, about vaccines and mandates that I'm going to touch on. Um, so this week especially has been quite a tumultuous week in New York. Um, the mayor of New York uh, implemented vaccine mandates for all city employees. Now, of course, that includes you know, law enforcement and firefighters and everyone, and people are up in arms. And it ties in um, quite interestingly with the mayoral election that's going to be, I think it was it next Tuesday? Um, yes, this Tuesday coming. And the perspectives of the two candidates, um, the Democratic candidate saying that um, he agrees with the mandates, but he doesn't agree with how they were implemented. That he would not have, he would have had the conversation in a different way. Um, Republican candidate saying, "Hey, you should never have had mandates because the fact that you were allowing people to be either vaccinated or to have um, regular testing was working." Um, it's interesting because. I don't know where, I, you know, I, ha I still am struggling to wrap my head around this whole um, vaccine thing. And I'll tell you why. I'll tie it into a third part. So the FDA recently, I think as recently as today or yesterday, approved um, the vaccine for children 5 to 11, I think it is. There was one member who abstained. There was a conversation I saw on TV where they interviewed this one member of, of the FDA. I, th I think he was a doctor. 
And I, I don't know if all members of doctors, maybe I'm not sure what the composition is, but basically he made a valid point that maybe stop again. Every time I think I've got a handle on this, something new pops up in my mind and something new pops up in the news. I have a very good friend of mine who's been a guest in this show and he and I will chat about vaccine mandates from time, vaccine mandates from time to time. And, you know, we, we, every time we have a, I have a show or we hear someone else has a show, we come away with a new perspective. And uh, it's, it, it, I guess it's, it becomes a bit confusing as to exactly what decisions to make. The point this doctor made that I heard on TV was that he disagrees with giving children this vaccine because it, it has not been tested long enough. Well, this is the argument that adults are making, too. So I'm going to get into this a little bit because he was challenged by the news report and said, hey, you know, we give children polio and measles and mumps and everything, you know, from a very young age. And his rebuttal was brilliant to me, at least. His rebuttal was, you know, that's okay to give them all those vaccinations because those things have been tested for 10, 15, 20 years. Those things have been tested and proven. They've tested, they've passed the test of time any adjustments that need to be made to the formula were made and they're ongoing now and, and there's no question about them. In the rush to save lives and in the rush to um, sort of uh, attack the, COVID, the pandemic, and I have to throw this in there, in the rush to take opportunity to, for the drug companies to make money, these vaccines are out there. And well, what what the other thing that caught me about, you know, what he said was, well, you know, he's against this because because these things have not really been tested, the damage that they can do to kids. I'm like, wait a minute, the vaccine was tested just as, as just a short period of time for adults, and we may not, as you know, depending on the depending on the age of the adult, we may not have the same resiliency as these young kids. So it almost sounds like you're saying, I know, let's we throw this out there for the adults because if you know, if whoever dies as an adult, you know, they're expendable. Um, the kids are a different story. We need to preserve their lives. And what's what's wrong with that, you know, apart from the obvious, is that you bring you bring it right back to the question to the people who are refusing to get vaccinated, people who are saying, look. I face a world of uncertainty. There's cancer. There's, you know, there's all sorts of, there's heart disease. There's, there's all sorts of things out there. I can't even come up with them in my head at the moment. But there's all these illnesses as we get older that we pray that we don't get and we try to eat right and exercise. And, and, and you know, some of us, whatever the case is, however you choose to approach your health, and, and, and preserving your, your health or, or, or uh, maintaining your health, I think underneath that, most of us have a desire to live. So with all these challenges already facing us, some of which may, be, may have come from you know, unknowns, now we're saying you're, gonna, you know, you're injecting my body with something else that five years from now you can tell me, hey, guess what? it caused this or it caused that. We found out that this is the effect after a certain period of time. 
Now, again, I sit here as a person who's vaccinated. I had COVID, and as I repeat this over and over again, and I was vaccinated. And at the time, I, I jumped at the opportunity to be vaccinated. But honestly, the logic and the thought process that I put into it now did not exist then because I jumped at the opportunity to be vaccinated because I had COVID, because I experienced the devastation of the illness, because it was one of the worst illnesses, if not the worst I've ever experienced. And so my mind was wrapped around you know prevention of, and, and making sure that well, based on what we were being told then that I, I would not have to go through this again, which we found out is also a fallacy because people are fully vaccinated getting COVID. Okay, and then we heard that other um, affirmation that, well, if you get vaccinated, you get COVID, but you won't die from it. And now people are fully vaccinated and dying from COVID. And now we hear, well, you know, most people won't die from it. So it seems like the... the, the um. The statements of the efficacy of the vaccine are, 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 are forever changing to fit the scenarios rather than being a constant, and that is worrisome. And so, as I said, being someone myself who's vaccinated, I still kind of, um, I, I understand the people who don't want to. I understand the people who are saying, you know, I'll take my chances now because... I don't trust you. I don't trust the drug, drug companies. I don't trust. And you know, I've, I've, I've spoken a lot on these podcasts about people's lack of trust of government. But I realize I haven't really mentioned the other lack of trust, and that's lack of trust in drug companies. Drug companies, I mean, if I had to go, in, if, if, if I had to go into a business tomorrow that I could choose any business, where I'd probably choose a drug company. We, you know, when, when you're ill, when you, when you go to a hospital and you see a, a relative lying there fighting for their life, it's, it's almost like the matrix where they come out and they, you, know, you make a choice of the red pill or the blue pill. You know, these drug companies, you know, come to you and say, you know, we've got a vaccine. Now we are at, you know, they'll list a hundred side effects that are detrimental to life, but this one, you know, the one, the, the, the medication is designed to do this one thing, and that's the fix the illness that your loved one is suffering or you are suffering, to a certain percent at least. And so we grab onto these, what these drug companies do as our only hope at times. And I'll be honest with you, even sometimes, even people like myself who, who are, uh, faithful people who believe in our creator, who believe in God, we, we, none of us is perfect. And you, you know, sometimes you get to a point where, you know, you know can they get this drug? And you, you almost put that drug as the, as, the, as the golden ticket. And so the drug companies, number one, get to charge whatever they want. There are treatments out there. And you ever notice that if you have an illness and they'll, they'll, they'll have tablets or you know certain tablets or whatever but as you get to the alternative treatments when they say well you know the medication is not working but you know we have a something else you could try it's something else from the drug company but the price goes up and up and up and up i remember a few years ago i was standing in a cvs drugstore 
and I was waiting for something, but on the counter, there was a price sheet. I'm not sure why. I can't remember what the drugs were, if they were targeting a specific illness or what, but there was a price sheet with drugs and, and cost of drugs per pill. And as I just kind of you know glanced at it, what caught my eye was there was a specific medication. I should have taken a picture of it in my phone. But that medication was, and wait for it, it was 3000 and something dollars for one pill, one tablet. One tablet. And imagine if you're a millionaire and they come to you with, the, you know, with that and say, look, you've got this illness. This is the medication. This is your only chance at living. You don't know if you're being told the truth. You're at the mercy of them. So what do you do if you can afford it? You spend your money on buying these tablets. You spend money, you know, dollars after dollars after dollars after dollars. And in many cases, you still lose your loved one. The drug company doesn't have to reimburse you, right? I mean, if my car breaks down and you tell me it's a transmission, and you sell me a new transmission, and the new transmission doesn't work, well, one of my options would be to take back the new transmission and get a refund, right? You can't refund the life. The drug companies say, well, you know, that's the drug we had. The, they, everything spins so that, you know, it was the best, but, you know, your, your loved one, you know, the chances were and this complications and, you know, whatever the case may be. But either way, I'm saying to you, these companies get paid and have really no kind of, I mean, it is so difficult to go to fight against them. And most of the time, like, like, like recently, um, there was this, this whole lawsuit. I think there's a lawsuit with the Johnson Johnson, a talcum powder and the cancer causing agent that's in it. And they knew it for 20 years and they still produce the talcum powder. What does that tell you? And then what makes it worse is that the Johnson Johnson is one of the companies that has the COVID vaccine. So these things are happening simultaneously. This company is being sued and, 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 and under investigation for producing talcum powder knowingly with a cancer-causing agent for 20-something years and selling it to the public as this great powder, baby powder, adult powder, whatever the case may be. And you know what? While that's going on, keep that in your mind. Now take it out your mind. Put it aside for a second. And here, let me stick this needle in your hand with a vaccine from this company. And 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 the the, the hard part about this, as I as I really think about it, too, is. And and the problem I think with the mandate, I understand what mayors and governors. I understand what they're trying to accomplish with the information they have, or the information we hope that they have. But. When, when you have someone who has been on the job for 15, 20 years performing, you know, perfectly, performing to the best of their abilities, no complaints, and then they, they have an option of losing their job if they decide to do something that's against their will, and, it, and it, as the nature of a vaccine, when 
there are alternatives of, like I said, um, testing every seven days, wearing a mask. Because, you know, I, I just don't know. I don't, I just don't know. What, you know, what the level of threat is and, and what's real and what's not. I just know that taking the livelihood away from someone is, is and then you're creating a bigger problem because in, when you go to certain cities and you, and, you, and you people choose to really stand firm and they lose their job, then they go on what we call in New York, I don't know if it's the same around the world, they go on welfare. They go on whatever programs are out there that the government offers to, to, to support someone who has no income. And those programs give them money, give them health care, give them food stamps, or, you know, and, and at the taxpayer's cost. So I'm just saying that, you know, in the whole conversation, I understand the need. I mean, this has been devastating, over 700,000 deaths. But I, I just wonder whether we're... We're attacking this actually with you know having the right information. It just seems that at the end of the day, there's just something down the road that's coming that's going to make us reflect back on this time and recognize that this time was the cause of something worse. And for the people who have quit their jobs and they can afford to do so and didn't take the vaccine... If they end up with an I told you so moment, then there are millions of us that will suffer. I don't know this to be the case. I don't want anyone to get upset. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for anything on either side. Again, I'll make it clear. I took the vaccine. I had my reasons. Okay. I pray every day that, that the only consequence of that is that I, will not get COVID again, at least to a point that, it, that it's as devastating as it was or worse than I had it. And then one other caveat I want to throw in there is the drug company Merck, they just came out with a pill that they allow other drug companies to produce. It's a COVID pill. And apparently saying it's reducing hospitalizations and reducing deaths. And I'm wondering, you know, and, and please send me, you know, send me the emails, podcast at 247realtalk.net. Tell me, would you take the pill? This is an interesting scenario because I think it's another opportunity to make money. I think it's a, an alternative to people who don't want to take the vaccination. Um, not, 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 in, not in terms of them infecting others, but in terms of them um, supposedly protecting themselves from dying from COVID or, or be hospitalized from COVID. The question is, how much is this con- this pill cost? That's the first thing. Is insurance going to cover it since they're out since their vaccines out there? And is this going to result in all of these vaccination things down the road are going to invert, result in higher insurance premiums for us? I mean, how many times are we going to be end up being victims here? This, that's, what, that's what it comes down to. We're guinea pigs in this whole game. We don't know, you know, if you ever think about the things that have happened in governments and businesses, the things you've heard of and things exposed over the years, 
If you ever keep an eye on attorney generals around the country and the lawsuits that they file and the, the, the information that's revealed on, on, on uh, unscrupulous practices of companies, yeah, are, are we sitting here and we saying that so many companies just do so many um, immoral or unethical things for profit, but the drug companies don't? Can any of us who has taken this vaccination, any of us who will take that pill uh, with any sense of uh, assuredness, I should say, be able to say, well, I know the doctors or I know the research scientists who did this and they're ethical people and they didn't cut corners and, and, and what they produced is, was really from a purely, a purely ethical place, a purely, uh, uh, with, with, with good intentions and that profit was never a thought. Not likely. Pfizer is a multi-billion uh, dollar company and they're proud of it. That, that is a company that will be here probably long after most of us are gone. So, those are my, you know, my main things in the news today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on my, my last topic here, as I, as I usually do for in the news before I sign off. And I, and I touch on this last topic because I, I'm hoping that, and I see it in my numbers, but I want to see more of it. I'm hoping that people are spreading this podcast and that they're sharing it in their social media platforms, in their Facebook, in their Instagram, in their wherever, because people need to understand these issues. People need to start conversations on these issues. More people need to be engaged in these issues, and more people need to be tolerant of other people's perspective, because when, you're, when you tolerate someone else's perspective, you learn. When you're open-minded, you learn. And I, and I also want to share because I think that eventually someone somewhere who has some level of influence who can make a decision or make a difference will, will pick up on it and start, you know, start this down a path that it will become a, 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 a change maker, so to speak. And I come, as, as I close out, I come back to January 31st, 2022. That's when the moratorium on student loans ends. We, or, or the people, I want to make sure I say this correctly, the people that elected in, 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 a, in a historical election, our current President Joe Biden, did so for many reasons. One of those is the promises he made. It is not, you know, they're focusing on the infrastructure and all these things. They're focusing on all these um things to make the country better, and I get it. But the thing that, the core thing that makes the country better is the people and taking care of the people. Come the end of January 2022, I talk to so many people, I hear feedback from these conversations. A lot of lives are about to be devastated because there's simply no way they can manage the student loans that they have. One, because they never got a job to this day that's, that allows them to pay back their student loans. I mean, look, look at, look at, let's pause for a second. I went out to buy, I put gas in my wife's car tonight. 
I think I paid three fifty something for a gallon of regular. You're taking money out of the pockets of regular people everywhere they turn. For health insurance, for gasoline. You're saying there's supply shortages because of COVID and because you can't get help. And so the prices of everything is, 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 has gone up or is going up. And at the on January 31st, 2022, you're going to turn around now and say to people, you need to find this money to pay federally guaranteed student loans, whether or not the degree you got was worth the paper was printed on. We paid the schools. Now it's on you to heck with you. Let the schools survive. Let us survive. Let the businesses survive. Let the drug companies survive. Let, let the, the, the gas companies survive. Let all the industries survive and kill the people. Punish the people for making an effort to be better. Punish the people when they're in a situation where they have nowhere to turn. Give them the American dream of owning a home and then rip that home out from under them because of guaranteed student loans. And while, you, while, I'm, while I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that you lose everything that you've worked for, I'm going to print up some money and I'm going to ship it overseas and make a deal with someone. That, you know, I'm going to ship $500 million and ship it overseas because that's worth it. That somehow is preserving the life stateside of the people of this country. The deal, I've talked about this deal over and over again, about eliminating 50% as a start, allowing people to renegotiate 50%, the other 50%, and also making the, the colleges and universities hold the note and not get paid by the federal government until that graduate gets a job that, that matches the degree they got. And, and the schools have the responsibility of, of placement. Don't get me wrong, if someone, like I said, you know, messes up their job and doesn't want to work and is lazy, that's a different story. But you have to show that the person was able to, to gain that employment with, with the effort. Otherwise, this, this is just a cycle that keeps going. And then we wonder why things change in the world. Why are there less people going to college? Why are there colleges, good colleges closing down? Well, because people are realizing that it doesn't make a difference. If I have a skill, if I'm good at math and I'm, you know, and I've developed it to a certain extent, I don't need to go to college anymore because, you know, I can probably make more. And this is the truth. I can tell you, I've experienced this personally. Several people who do not have my credentials, who have traveled a similar path, who are in higher positions, making, making way more. I'm not saying they're not great and talented people. I'm saying that. The, the, the sacrifice and the, to, to get the credentials I have and to achieve them does not have any kind of impact, does not create a, 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 any advantage to me over the person who simply doesn't, and they have no student loans. Every time you, I talk to someone, I'm saying, you're going to college, and they say, no, 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 I don't want any student loans. I mean, it's become a stigma. It's become a deterrent for people to educate themselves. And this, this, our government after government after government that we elect, doesn't, they don't care about solving this problem. When, when, when people are not going to college, 
for the reason where you've got, you know, you got a brilliant person who says, no, 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 I've heard the stories. I don't want these student loans. I can't deal with that. What does that tell you? We elected you to govern, to make our lives better. There are many ways to do that. Do we need infrastructure project? Yes, we do. But you got to take care of the people. And this is not a small problem. This is not one or two people complaining. This is millions of people across the United States complaining. And the president we have now elected who made a promise to aggressively help this problem has put it so far in the back burner, it appears to all of us who who are in this situation and everyone who, who I talk to who says that they they were part of, of the process of electing this president, that he has turned their, his back on them. And you know what they've said to me? No matter which side of the aisle you're on, and they've said already, we're in the first year. In three years, they're going to want my vote. And they're not getting it. Not unless they solve this problem. So whether we're going to wait until this, this, this problem becomes a crisis, in, in that would be what, February of 2022, and after January 31st, 2022, when people are crying out and scrambling, if that's when you can look to address it, then that tells us that all this talk doesn't matter. All the significance of a first female vice president and all these, none of it matters. And that's why I always tell people, vote to your heart. Vote by what you know is real about the candidate. I know sometimes we have the choices we have leave us very little choice. But we need to find ways as people to hold government accountable regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. And this is not about anything more or less than giving all of us a chance at a fair, productive, happy life. A chance to thrive, a chance to work and achieve and enjoy what you achieve rather than having it destroyed by someone who, who knows there's a problem, who helped create the problem and wants no part of being the solution. I'm hoping that next time that like I come back with an episode of In the News that there'll be something more significant in terms of um, the content. And I'm saying significant in terms of uh, resolutions and you know, um, positive action by the powers that be. I don't think that we can get away from the, the vaccine issue for a while because I think it'll be around for a while. I think that, you know, I hear less and less about people talking about remote work now, those of us who are left, because the promises that were made and the, and the promise, the inherent promise of, of seizing the moment to, to evolve and to make our lives better has been squandered by greed by those who want to stay the same and continue to make their money and just leave things status quo because they're not interested in us as people. They're just interested in, in, in making the money they're making. They know that if there's change, if we progress, it means that they have to spend money to evolve. Why do that? 
They don't care. It's only those of us who walk the walk every day and are part of the struggle understand that what the world needs now more than anything else is to unite and to create positive change. As always, I want to thank all of my listeners, my supporters, for your incredible loyalty, for engaging me in conversations uh, in between podcasts, in between episodes, for your continued support, for the ideas of conversations that you bring to me, and for being engaged and united in this struggle to step forward and to make a difference in this world, to make our lives better, to make the world a better place. I want to remind you that you can listen to this episode and any episode and every episode of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. Please continue to send me your emails and messages and support at my email at podcast at 247realtalk.net. And that's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.